Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I, build, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Thanks, Alex, for that. So, little context as usual. Peter has walked on water. We looked at it last week. Miracles are still happening. The Pharisees are still kicking off. And Jesus takes his disciples aside one day and he says to them, okay, guys, so who do people think that I am? And uh, they say, well, some people think that you're a prophet. You're this prophet or you're that prophet. Some people think you're John the Baptist who's come back to life again. And then Jesus says, okay, fair enough. But who do you say that I am? Now, Peter is always the guy to want to answer every question first and act first, right? He's the pick me guy, you know, like you get in classrooms at school, like, pick me, I know the answer, I know the answer. And Peter goes, I know what the answer is. You are the Messiah. You are God himself. You're the chosen one. You're the one that we've all been waiting for. You are that one. And of course, Peter has the answer in his mind because as we looked at last week, he was the guy who got out of the boat, got on the water. He was the one who kind of encountered the huge power of Jesus over wind and waves, realized he was who he says he was, God himself. And then they get this fascinating bit, don't you? Jesus says to Peter, yes, you're right. I am exactly what you say that I am. And in fact, Peter, on this moment, on this confession, on you, Peter, which means rock, I am going to build the rock of the church. You are going to be the one who the church is going to be built around. Boom. Uh, This is one of the only places where Jesus speaks explicitly about what the church is meant to be. And so we need to kind of, we need to pull out (laughs) as much as we can possibly get out of these words that Jesus says. And I, I hope that you'll see that there's so much good stuff in them. So the first thing is this, the local church is the place that we grow. So I don't know if you ever talk about your church outside of Sundays. If you're visiting today or checking us out for the first time online, I don't know what you'd say about your normal church. Um, I don't know if you would start with the music or the building or lack of building or the wonderful English pastor with the fantastic sense of humor that you all laugh at out loud all the time. Just Lily ever, ever laughs. Uh, Or the denomination, or you talk about the size, or you talk about the style. I don't know what you would talk about. But what the first thing we see is that the church is always about people. The church is always about people. In verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, you, Peter, you human being are the rock on which we're going to build this thing called the church. He could have said to Peter, hey, Peter, dude, can you go to Jerusalem and build a really big building? You know, the Jewish people understood the importance of the building and the temple and all that kind of stuff. He could have said, dude, we're going to build this massive thing called a building here. And we're going to put another building here. And we're going to put another building here. Could have said that. He could have talked about geography. He could talk about many different things. But actually, he talks about this really broken 
really interesting individual called Simon Peter. And it's not like, oh, Simon, you are the best human being that the world's ever seen. You never get anything wrong. So I'm going to pass my baton on to you and you're going to be the most important person. You're going to be this thing called the church. Now, actually, if you know anything about Peter, you'll know that he's a complete mess. In fact, you only have to go down, if you've got your Bibles open today, to verse 23, like just literally a few verses after we read today. And then Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's like, what are you doing? You don't even seem to get this at all. So what is it that Jesus is trying to say? Well, what Jesus seems to be saying, that Peter, it is about your very human, your very frail, but your very real faith and confession about who I am, which the church will be based around. So what is the church? The church is the community of broken, frail, normal, interesting people on earth who proclaim Jesus to be Lord. That's what the church is. So if you go into Pasadena and you find a really big old one, old building, or you find some people meeting at their house, or you find a little quirky church around the corner, or a very loud one, or a very quiet one, or ones in different languages and different lands, everyone who is meeting in the name of Jesus to worship and to pray and to gather around this reality of the cross, of who Jesus is, we together are the church. We are the church. And what that means is, that you didn't come to church. That's not I'm, not, I'm not having a go at the people who are now listening to this on Wednesday morning in their car. This is not me criticizing you. No one comes to church. You don't come to church. You never have come to church. Why? Because you don't come to church. You are the church. We are the church in this moment. We are being church. So maybe actually you could just turn to the person next to you for a minute. Just say good morning church to them. Just so that they know that they're valued and loved by you. Good, good morning church. It's good to see you. But isn't that so far different for how we have come to understand what churches are? Like I come from a place where you say, where is the church? And you think about the really big building with the kind of pointy bit on the top and the bells in the tower and the old pews inside. That's what people think of when you say church. Like probably here, increasingly, we don't talk about buildings, but maybe we talk about like the spectacle of the Sunday morning. You know, when you, those days of old, when you used to be able to go to church and you got your popcorn, I mean, your, your coffee and your donut, and you sat in that lovely chair and you got like the hour and a half's worth of amazing music and, and great inspirational teaching and prayer and all that kind of stuff. And you kind of went home and you checked your box and you were like, yeah, great. I went to church. And of course, when you go home from church, if you're like me, if, if I'm honest, sometimes you go, well, how was church? Well, the worship was pretty good. The speaker, he just preached for way too long, made me late for lunch. Or, you know, like we make all these comments that basically means we are not the church, but we get to critique the church. We get to say the church is over there and I want to receive from the church. I want to get what I want from the church. And if I don't get what I want from the church, I'm going to kind of withdraw because I am not the church. Where Jesus says, no, hold on a minute. You are the church. We are the church. Together we are being the church. Um, this was really reminded me uh, a few years ago. Like, um, anyone like jigsaw puzzles? Anyone prepared to admit in a public space that they actually like jigsaw? Come on, come on, Lisa Hall. Yes, yes, Emily, yes. I see your hands, it's like salvation. Congratulations, I see your hands. I secretly like jigsaw puzzles. I'm prepared to admit that. 
Um, I was from, um, you come to my house, you won't see a lot of jigsaw puzzles personally, but when I go on vacation, like there's something about just going somewhere when you need to turn your brain off and you just stare at these pieces for days on end until they make something in front of you. It's kind of like strangely therapeutic, isn't it? And uh, a bunch of years ago, Laura and I, we were moving from one city to another city to take up like a new job, pastoral job. And I wanted to take some time out just to say, hey, God, what do you, what do you want to say about your church? How, how should I see your church? How should I see your people? How can I serve them? And uh, I found this jigsaw puzzle in this very dusty cupboard, like in the corner of this, uh, this, this room. And it was a jigsaw puzzle of Noah's Ark. Um, in my mind, it had about 5,000 pieces. I think in reality, it probably had 1,000 pieces or something like that. But I did what you do. You, know, you lay it all out on the table, and you get very angry with it, and you make the edge pieces, and then you put the bits in the middle. And like slowly over time, this picture starts to emerge. And it was a beautiful picture. It was a picture of Noah in the ark, all these animals, this rainbow. And I just thought, oh, thank you, God. What an incredible prophetic picture of this messiness of church, of this diversity of church, of the beauty of church. It's fantastic. And I just got to the end and I got my last puzzle piece and I put it into the jigsaw puzzle. And then I had that moment that no one ever wants when they're building a jigsaw. I realized there was a piece right in the middle, completely missing. You know, I was, I was distraught. Ever had that moment? It's, it's so soul-destroying when you've spent days and you can't, you can't finish it. In fact, I was so soul-destroying, I actually took a picture of the, the jigsaw puzzle. I don't know if you can see it up on the screen. And I took a picture of the bit missing. Is it there? I can't see it yet. We'll see if it comes up in a minute. But as I kind of saw this gap right in the middle of the jigsaw puzzle piece, totally ruining the picture, I realized, wow, this is the kind of nature of who we are as a church. Paul says this. He says, we are all parts of the body of Christ. If you look at a jigsaw puzzle piece, each part of a jigsaw puzzle, each jigsaw puzzle piece is totally unique, right? It's totally its own shape. It has its own picture on it. But when it's put into the jigsaw puzzle piece, it's no longer like its own little thing. It becomes part of this beautiful and wonderful picture. And I really felt God said, that is what it's like to be part of the church. That each one of us comes with all that we are and we bring it to each other. We bring it into this place of worship with all of our warts and all of our all and we are the church together when we do that. And so what does that mean here at Vintage? Well, we have four things very practically and I'm just gonna whiz through them really quickly of what we mean when we say come and be church together. The first one we say is come on Sundays. Like, come and be part of this, whether you do it online or whether you do it in person here, come and be church uh, with us. We want, when you come to church, we want you to receive. Primarily, we, we know that out there in the world, it's really hard. It's difficult. You get bruised, you get battered, you get beaten up. We want, when you come to church on a Sunday, uh, ooh, excuse me, water resource pouring all over the floor. We, we want you to like receive from God. When we pray, when we worship, when we learn scripture together, when we meet with the Holy Spirit, we want you to f- be filled up. You know, like on a jigsaw puzzle piece, there's that kind of indented piece on a jigsaw puzzle, right? That's the bit that we, it's like the bit where we receive. And we want to help you in every way we possibly can. And that's why we say like, come. When we, when we started in COVID, we were very clear to say right at the beginning, we're going to do church live. Like even if it's going to be live from a, like a living room, we said, we're going to do that because we believe in the importance of being together. And so we always ask you, please, would you commit to being together with us? The second thing is, just like that video was a minute ago, we say, please, would you commit to being in a community group, right? You know, big church is great. 70, 700, 7,000, 70,000, I don't know. Oh, big church is really, really great, right? 
But I know in my life that the real life of working out what it means to follow Jesus happens when we rub up against each other. Like, you know, you get that jigsaw puzzle piece and it's the right piece, but it doesn't quite fit because it's not been quite made correctly or it's got a bit broken. And, you know, you kind of have, it kind of rubs up against the bits around it. And I, and I feel like, you know, gosh, that's what community groups are for. They're for us to work out this whole thing of doing life together. That's why I think the best community groups are actually really diverse. They're like people who wouldn't normally hang out. They're people who wouldn't normally be friends, like doing life and learning from each other. And so we say that, hey, please, would you be in a community group? Would you commit to other human beings, join yourself to other human beings, and do this faith thing with each other? The third thing we say is, please, would you serve on a team? If you again look at a jigsaw puzzle piece, it has that kind of like sticky out bit as well as the sticky in bit. And the sticky out bit is maybe like the places that we serve. When you come and you join in and you use your gifts and your talents and your your abilities to serve, what happens when you have an out sticky out bit of a jigsaw puzzle? It serves the sticky in bit of the jigsaw puzzle, right? As you serve, somebody else receives. That's how the kingdom of God looks. We're called to build this beautiful thing together. You know, I mentioned about Ian earlier. You know, one of the things I loved about Ian so much was that often after church, I'd be like busy chatting away to some new people and I'd see in the corner of my eye, Ian, Mike, or the rest of the set down team, you know, just quietly, no fuss, no mess, just getting on with the set down of church. Or I'd hear from uh, Ian's community group every week, you wouldn't believe what Ian cooked us to eat at our community group this week. Like we just so served and blessed. You know, we're called to serve each other to prefer each other, to help each other in our spiritual journeys. And then the final thing is that we're always called to give. When we build this part of the global jigsaw puzzle piece, jigsaw puzzle called Vintage Pasadena, we're always doing it together. You know, and we get to do it in every area of, of our lives. You know, I've always really believed that here our calling at Vintage was to build something, not just for kind of 2020 or 2021, but actually to build something that would be part of this global thing called the church in Pasadena for the long term. You know, I didn't come to Vintage just to kind of do a couple of years of ministry. Like we, we wanted to say we want to build something that's going to last in this place. And that's why we have to always partner when we think about you know, our giving, when we think about our finances. You know, we're so blessed here at Vintage, that Santa Monica Vintage, they said, we want to bless you. We want to get you guys off the ground. We're going to help you financially for the first few years of your life. But after that, you're on your own. And we're very grateful for that. But it means that, like, number one, we actually have to be able to get to a place of self-sustainability, which we're not at at the moment. That's our first thing. So we can be this jigsaw puzzle here for the future. And then even beyond that, I actually think this is a really exciting time to be alive and to be a church plant, despite all that my friend said. I really believe that. Like, I could talk to you for hours about Alpha Online and the different people from all over the US who have come to find out about faith through Alpha Online that we're just finishing off at the moment. I could talk to you about what we're going to do at Christmas and this big Christmas extravaganza that we want to put on online and in person and invite the school and all the neighbors to be part of. We could talk about that. could talk about all the things that are going to happen next year in our community. But the truth is, like, really, if we're honest, we, also, we, we have to do that. Laura and I, we have to give. We have to be part of that story because we're building it. There are no sugar daddies, as it always comes out. Like, we're going to be on our own. We're building this thing together. So we always ask that you give. So just to conclude that, just to draw that little thinking together about what it means to be church, what I want to just get into your heads, um, and I hope you'll agree with me, is this. Don't come to church. Be the church. 
Find a church community where you can throw yourself in, in deep, in with other human beings to serve, to give, to receive together. Now, there's this increasing like, line that we hear where like, it's like, I can be a Christian and I don't need a church. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, you know, you get that flaming log in a fire and I'm going to take my flaming log out of the fire and I'm going to put it over here and it's okay because I'm going to catch the whole world on fire with my amazing on-fireness. And then that might happen, but what generally happens is the log goes out, right? That's generally what happens. We kind of need each other. And if vintage is not going to be your home, that's fine. I'm very sad but I'd love to help you find a home, somewhere where you can really put your all into. And I know it's risky, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Churches are risky things. You may be here this morning and you may have been badly hurt by a church in the past. I want to acknowledge that. There are all sorts of reasons why people get hurt in churches, not least because churches are run by people like Peter, right? Who are a mess sometimes. You know, I'm sorry if you've been hurt by church. I cannot promise that you will never be hurt if you partner with all of us in this adventure. But I want to invite you to give your all. It's easy to think right now in 2020, I'm going to get out of church. I'm just going to sit on the fringes. I'm going to watch for what happens next. It's easy to think, oh, I don't like face masks or I don't like sitting on my couch or I don't like getting temperature checks or I don't like online church or I don't like this. And then just think, okay, I'm going to be outside of the church. But I think Jesus' invitation to Peter and to all of us is always come be church. So that's the first thing. And the only other thing, don't worry, only two points this morning, won't keep you too long, is that the church is the entity. It is the mechanism which we are given for communicating Jesus to the world. The church is the mechanism that God has given to communicate Jesus in the world. Like Jesus could have said to Peter, hey, dude, right, you're great. Uh, I'm going to do this. You're going to kind of have this role. But really what I'm going to do is whenever every human being is 18 years old, I'm going to give them a dream. I'm going to give them the full disclosure of the good news of Jesus. And then they will have to make a decision whether they want to follow me or not. That's what Jesus could have done. He didn't. He said to Peter, dude, I'm handing it over to you. In fact, he uses these incredible words. He says, verse 19, I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Like these are really interesting messianic languages. Language says keys, bind, loose. Some people have seen this passage and thought of the picture of kind of like St. Peter at the pearly gates with a big set of keys, literally letting people into heaven or not letting people into heaven. I don't think that's what Jesus meant in this passage. What Jesus seems to be saying is actually, Peter, in the way that you and the others are church, you will have an eternal impact on human beings. That the keys you have are not for you to go, you're in and you're out, but it is in the way that we are the church together, which will decide in many ways whether or not the world gets to see Jesus, gets to respond to Jesus that how we behave, how we live, how we love, the truth that we proclaim actually will have eternal impact because if we don't do it, people will not get to respond to the gospel because they will not see Jesus. We are the entity who are tasked with making disciples. If you know in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, Jesus, and I therefore give it to you, the church. So what? Go make disciples. That's what we're called to be. It's so challenging that we wear some sort of responsibility for helping other people know about Jesus. 
So how do you do it? Well, two final words that I, I want to offer that we have to hold together in this church and in every church. The first one is this, love. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's, it's pretty scary outside at the moment. Like there is, I just saw a study this week showing that like gun sales in the US have gone through the roof over these last uh, few months. And it's across the political spectrum. And I was listening to kind of some interviews with people just saying, we are so scared. Like we are worried. We're worried about our city. We're worried about politics. We're worried about economy. We're so fearful. You know, like anxiety is such a big deal out there right now. And I really believe that people are desperate for a better narrative. Like they're desperate for a better story. You know, if, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's taught us that, you know, like us our, our holding on to the economy to kind of support us might not be enough. Like holding on to healthcare might not be enough. Holding on to a particular politician or political party might not be enough. Actually, like all of those things are quite temporary and broken and fragile. Actually, we need something better. We need peace. We need hope. We need love. Like we need mercy. That there's no kingdom. There's no king on earth. There's no, there's no ability to do this in a human way. The only way is through Jesus. And it's hard for the church, right? It's so hard. In 2020, gosh, how much pressure are we under to divide, to be angry with each other, to fall out along our different like, socioeconomic groups or our different political groups? How easy is it for us to want to be like, self-seeking, to put our own rights and our own needs and our own desires first? How easy is it for us to put hatred out there hatred towards a politician or a political party or a group of people. We don't mean to do it, but like how easy it to kind of live into the story of the world. But guess what? I believe that if we do that, the world will just say to us, yeah, whatever. You just look like us. We don't want that. Thank you very much. But instead, if we can be more loving, like more compassionate, more hopeful, more merciful, if we can look after the orphan and the widow, if we can look after the oppressed and the marginalized, if we can go the extra mile to care for people who are like us and not like us, people who have a totally different perspective on the world, then I believe that people will look at us and go, oh yes, there's something different. There's something different about this group of people that is beautiful and fantastic. Now, I know some of you will be now going, hold on a minute. Like that sounds like social gospel. Like that sounds like just being nice to everybody and that everything will be okay. And of course, if you just have the loving bit on its own, you can get unstuck badly. And that's why the other word that I want to leave us with is the word truth. That Jesus says to Peter, it is on me. It is on the centrality of the good news of Jesus that the whole thing rises and falls. If you take Jesus out of the equation, you're completely screwed. You know, when you look at the Bible, the Bible is full of like, not just this thing about salvation, but it, Jesus spent three years of his life telling people how to be a human being. There's all this stuff about morality in the Bible, right? There's all this stuff about how to behave. And it's not because Jesus has got like, these are the rules. And if you don't do these rules, then this is not gonna work out for you well, but it's because this is the way to be a human being. Jesus has a way for us to be alive, you know? And it means that we actually have to hold the truth and the love together. And guess what? That's really hard sometimes. 
That's really hard. If your faith doesn't like bump into your desire to love people and, and it kind of feel a bit awkward because it doesn't quite fit into the thing called the world, then it's okay. It's not supposed to fit into the thing called the world. It doesn't fit perfectly like that. We have to hold both. And I think what it means is that ultimately we have to be prepared to put the love thing first and then bring the truth in. Just let me explain that before you get angry with me for a minute. You know, like, we actually have to be people in a non-Christian environment, in a non-Christian world, who aren't the ones going, you can't do that, you mustn't do that. We're the people who explain and help people find Jesus. And then as they found Jesus, we're able to kind of say, come and let us impact scripture. Let's help you encounter the Holy Spirit and find out how to be a human being. I'll just give you a quick example because I don't think I explained that very well. But when, I, when Laura and I got engaged, you know, we were both Christians and we, we said, this was totally our, our conviction, we believe that sex is fantastic and we believe it's for marriage and we believe that God's got an incredible thing. We believe it's more than a game. It's more than adult fun. We believe in all this stuff. And so we are not going to live together until we're married. We're not going to go all the way. We're not, we're not going to go on like crazy vacations, romantic vacations, all that kind of stuff. We're actually going to hold our lives slightly separate for a little bit. Now, a lot of our friends and family are non-Christians, and they thought we were completely crazy. They were like, that's impractical. Financially, it doesn't make any sense. It's difficult. Why are you even bothering to do that? But you know, by the grace of God, we, we held it. We, we said, that's what we're going to do. We got to our wedding day. Now, on our wedding day, we also had, like, we had this great presentation of the good news of Jesus. We got this great preacher to come and speak to all our friends and family about why Jesus is really important, all that kind of stuff. Now, as far as I remember, not one person has ever commented on the sermon or the video or all the hard work that we put into our service. But I've had some brilliant conversations with our non-Christian family members who have gone like, but you guys like, you didn't even like live together before you were married. Like, why did, you, why did you do that? And of course, what is that? That's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to just speak. I didn't tell my friends not to sleep with each other or to do anything. I just modeled something, the kingdom that was a little bit different. And I think this is the moment. This is the opportunity that we have, is to be the church together, to model the kingdom of God to the people out in the world. And I desperately believe that as we do that, people will see something different, something that they need, something that they want, something that is real and meaningful and gives them meaning and purpose and doesn't breed anxiety and fear and all of those kind of things. And the promise from this passage today is that Jesus will be with us, that no attack of the enemy will ever defeat the church. The jigsaw puzzle of the church is coming around the world us or not us, but Jesus' invitation to us today is, will you be the church? Will you put your puzzle piece in? Will you join in with the kingdom so that you will see heaven come on earth? Are you up for it? No one. It's good. No, really. We're up for it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you invite us into your story. That, Father, even though you ultimately don't need us to build this beautiful thing called the kingdom of heaven on earth, amazingly, by your mercy, you invite us and choose us and call us and empower us to play our part. 
And I just want to very boldly and simply pray for every person who is here today, every person who is listening online right now, every person who will hear the podcast or watch the service later in the week. I want to pray that you would convict every single one of us to be church, to find a home. Father, if if Vintage Pasadena is not your home for some of us, that's fine. Please, would you give us great peace to know that in this moment? But Father, at the same time, I pray for every single one of us that we would have a conviction in our spirit of our home in the church, of our home in a local community of people who will be with us and on the journey alongside us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that right now by your Holy Spirit, that you would just come and deal with every area in our life that's fearful. Maybe fearful for what it looks like to let other people come that close. So I was praying, I just sensed that maybe there are people here who have been just so hurt by the church in the past that they're like, I I love Jesus, but I just don't think I can do church again. And if that's you, I, I just, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Come and pour out healing and forgiveness. Come and minister your peace. And Father, for all of us where 2020 has so changed our view of church that actually for a lot of us, we're just like, I don't even know how to connect with the church right now. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just come, Holy Spirit, right now. Set our hearts on fire with love for your church again. With love for your people again. With love for your kingdom again. We're sorry, Lord, where we've, yeah, where we've been convinced to back down, sit down, get in the corner and stop being church. Teach us again, Holy Spirit, how to be your church on earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to worship God. But um, if you'd like to pray uh, with anyone, um, then Jeff and Victor, some of the prayer team will be on that corner. They'd love to pray with you this morning. Um, If you're online, a little link will come up along the bottom of your screen, which will give you a link to our prayer room. And the guys online would love to pray with you as well this morning. They're live. They want to hear from you. Um, If you can, let's stand and let's pray together and worship.